I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Cause nothing's more relaxing Than the cries of death and love So spend a ten Welcome to episode three of One-Offs, part two. Uh, can we say that one more time? Welcome to episode three of One-Offs, part two. Y'all get that? I'm Matt Gorley. Uh-huh, I'm Paul Rust, and this is With Gorley and Rust. In fact, it's episode three of One-Offs, part two. Oh my gosh, you guys doing the math at home? <laughs> Um, Uh, Matt, I have something um, I just wanted to, uh, a little tidbit I wanted to share with you. Yeah. Did you know that um, uh, the Kinks, you know, the the legendary band, they were initially drafted to write the theme for Suspiria? It wasn't Goblin, it was supposed to be the Kinks. And I I happen to have... um, my hands on uh, their lyrics. Are you kidding? Went to school to learn <laughs> how to dance ballet. And the teachers were some witches. Yes, a coven of witches. Suspiria. 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 Wow, that's really weird because did you know that Phil Collins was also approached for Suspiria? I, I didn't know that. I'll just sing you a bit of it. It goes, su Suspiria. <laughs> oh, well, gosh. Well, Goblin, I guess uh, it's like what they do with those uh, James Bond themes. They have different music artists kind of compete against each other, do a little bake that's sale. Right. And I guess they went with Goblin and hey, we're all richer now because uh, the Kinks and Phil Collins wrote those great songs. Yeah, but all the more richer for the fact that it was Goblin. Man, I love that music. Oh, boy. Yes. I mean, uh, if this movie is a crown, that is just one of the jewels in the crown, Matt. But let's not and get ahead of, of ourselves. What, what, I know. What were you going to say? Let's, let's do the business. But one quick tab, and that is just to say that there's... Of the jewels in the crown, there's a jewel in the jewel that that music is by a band named Goblin. Yes. For a movie like Suspiria about witches. It's just wonderful. I know. That'd be like if uh, uh, the score for 
pretty woman was like the romantic comics. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean this with respect, like a prostitute band. Uh, same difference. Yeah. Oh, if you ask me and my opinions about the music industry, same difference. <laughs> okay, everybody. This is with Gorley and Rust. Let's get down to brass tacks and business. First of all, <laughs> you can find out more at patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust, where we have feature length commentaries, mailbag episodes, all kinds of Bonus things, including a new series of ongoing vid bits, which are just little video stuff that when we get together and record, we put it up. Now, full disclosure, Paul and I are doing this by Zoom today, so there won't be a corresponding vid bit to this episode, but certainly next week, I imagine. Uh, Uh, Yes, yes. Um, It's mainly because, Matt, um, this is more, I guess, in a, a kind of a possession territory, not necessarily witch territory, but a, a, yeah. a fever has broke out through my daughter's school. My daughter got the fever right, right. and uh, I came down with it. I don't want to go traipsing into your house and give that whatever that fever is, uh, but it seems to have a hit now, now, now. I'm not saying that fever is a, a cult related but I'm just saying both take place at a school. Be. No, I'm just saying both take place at a school. But yes, I hear you when you say it could be. Because remember when we did the thing, we Zoomed because we didn't know if either of us were a thing. And the reason we could have met, why we met in person for the hand was because we all have hands. We Yeah, we, we I mean, we did. The, the second you came to the door, I didn't open it. You put up your hands through the glass. You turned them to both sides. I did the same thing. There was no way it was prosthetics. Even with a fleshy prosthetic like Luke Skywalker's, you can still kind of tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, together we went off and did illustrations of Mandro. (laughs) Uh, I think that's all the business. Yeah, I think uh, some little doozies we've done in there too. uh, uh, when, When is the Scream feature commentary Hit the Patreon, Matt. That's like... Friend, it's already out. Ooh! Uh, oh, the, the Scream 6 one. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Scream one, the 1996 commentary we did, was at the second... Oh, the, the, oh sorry. Yeah, this is the fourth Tuesday of the month. So that's coming up. And then likely next... Is it next month? I think we would... If it times out, we'll do the... Um, the tournament, the cozy oh, tournament. perfecto. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, yeah. But, but like you said, we did the uh, Scream 6 2023. Uh, we, we talked for a couple of hours. Uh, we had a real, uh, what would you call it? A Siskel and Ebert, I think is how you put it. Oh, a Siskel and Ebert is right. But more importantly than our differences, we both agreed that Siskel and Ebert should have performed in True West, where they switched roles just like Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the... When we die, the things we get to see that could have yeah. happened but never did. We were both we were both Eberts on wanting that to happen. <laughs> oh, Thumbs up oh, that. <laughs> when they agree, they're just it's two Eberts and if, whatever it if takes. If we both disagree, it's uh, two Siskels. Yeah. <laughs> um, so also, we're looking to start live streaming. Um, uh, we have a trustee who's a wonderful guy named Sean Lichtenstein that's been 
helping me a bit with that too. So hopefully by next season, you'll be able to live stream some video of these recording sessions. Uh, that's at the xenomorph level, by the way. The vid bits are at the every level. Uh, more like for the most part. Uh, more like um, uh, uh, live streaming. Now, see, this is why I need you. <laughs> I'm the like get it going guy, but you're the come in and you you paint it, you polish it, you dress it up, you sell no, the sizzle. No, no, you know it reminds me uh, in uh, scene terms, Matt. You and I are two peas in a pod. You know, yeah. sometimes it, uh, two, two Eberts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but more likely, uh, you know, in a, like say a sketch or an improv scene or a comic scene, it's, it's unlikely to have two peas in a pod. That's maybe like a rare thing, like stepbrothers or something when they get together right. and they're both goose together. Um, yeah. but let's be honest, it's usually an odd couple format. And, yeah. uh, speaking of my daughter, we've been talking just about, um, different types of, uh, odd couples, you know, the uptight uh-huh. ones and the loose ones and just like talking yeah. about when they happen. And we hit on probably the best one every, my wife and Mary and I, we all agreed uh, C3PO and R2D2 is a pretty oh. good like odd couple. I mean, truly Stan and Laurel. Yeah. Just yeah. even how they like position their body, their silhouettes look like, you know, uh, odd couple. But, um, when she was uh, at home from school and we were watching, uh, we put on Toy Story together. And I was oh, watching, and I love Toy Story. You know, it's like a really great, whatever, a mismatched buddy movie. And you get to see yeah. them dislike each other at the beginning and love each other at the end. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, but I was thinking it's a different sort of odd couple because it's not, it's usually Felix, uptight one, and Oscar. Yeah the loose slobby one right right but i was thinking what's really funny about toy story is like both woody and um uh, uh buzz. buzz are both uptight they're both uptight ones and they're uh-huh. both really rigid about what they want their world to be so they're both kind of like uh-huh. both felixes <laughs> and i thought that is such That's- a whatever pixar is the peak of excellence but I'm sure what they struggle with more is like, how do a bunch of type A's work together? Not how does an uptight and a slobby one work together? And to see two people who are both rigid and uptight work through their differences, that hit the sweet spot, man. <laughs> yeah, that's like the even couple at odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of another one, but even 48 huh. hours, they they have their own levels of looseness and rigidness that like, is enough of an opposite that they fight over that. Not, no, we got to, <laughs> right. Can you think of anything else? Um, oh man. I know I'm putting oh. you on the spot. We didn't even discuss this. I've never seen, nor do I know anything about Hobbs and Shaw, but I'm confident in saying that's what that is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now Hobbs and Shaw, that's the, um, uh, Robert Shaw and, the co- comic strip. Yes, that's Bloody and why I haven't seen that. I don't know. It seems bright up my ass. <laughs> um, but before we digress too much, Matt, how are yeah. you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Um, I just want to say live screaming is a term, even though we it just kind of breezed by us. I'm into that. And I think that's what we're going to call it. Oh, okay. I was worried right now. You were like, I just Googled it and it's owned by... 
you know, um, uh, Lobo Kellogg, Root and Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to go up against them again. Yeah. Uh, I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I will say this. I'm better for having seen this movie. Hey, right on. Uh, I loved this movie. Hey, I love it too. I love it too. I've never seen it. I've always been aware of it. I've never seen a Giallo film before. Can you believe that? Is that that's embarrassing, right? Hey, man, just lay it on me. Give all your first uh, impressions because that's what it's all about with these, man. Oh, just this the fact that it's an Italian film set in Germany with an American lead. And then the first thing you get is this like mid-century German airport with the goblin music, the aesthetics, the way that this thing was shot in three strip technicolor. You can tell that difference. Oh, I I put a big C-O-Z with a line over the Z right at the top (laughs) with that music and that look and that lighting. I mean, come on. It's like they had had three gels, (laughs) red, blue, and green. And that's it. That's all we need. They had a Christmas tree color wheel and said, light it. (laughs) Matt, really? How about it? That first like 10 minutes is maybe the most like easy to watch and cozy, striking slash spooky vibe of uh, any horror movie. It's really, I love that rain coming down. You're right. The airport. The camera moves, the music, the colors. It's really, uh, and you know, it's that uncanny thing. It all looks like our planet, but it is not our planet. It is so bizarre. It certainly isn't. And the weird, like, emphasis on different things, like when she goes through the opening the door, when it opens the glass door, when she's walking out, uh, the automatic door before she's in the taxi. Just to like have a close up of the gears that open up, it is just, I love it. It is such a wild choice. And it's, and then like when she's taking the taxi right there and she looks out through the window and sees those big like um, sewer tubes just like shooting out water into the river in a rainstorm. Uh, you know, we talk about it. This is like atmosphere is like the thing that goes the oh. longest way. Oh boy. It's so great and building the tension. I mean, you you're right into it, and this automatic door always already seems like a threat. And it's yeah. not even it's ten years before the Living Daylights, where a door like that kills someone in a movie. <laughs> yeah, and it was the year of when my oldest sister had an automatic door take off her toenail. <gasps> what? Do you know how I know it was in 1977? I wouldn't have even brought this up unless you brought up automatic door accidents. Is it Star Wars related? <laughs> no, but it is about how the year punk broke in the UK. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, it, it, it happened at our um, hometown supermarket, Fairway, F-A-R-E-W-A-Y. And they had, uh, it was the first automatic door I remember when I was a kid coming in contact with. And that really? automatic door became legendary status because four years before I was born, it, uh, my mom went in, my sister, uh, my second sister had just been born. So my mom was, uh, overwhelmed going to the supermarket. Uh, my oldest sister had been in 74. So she's taking a three-year-old and I think like a month old, two month old to the supermarket. And 
as they're getting through the door and leaving, Amy, uh, my oldest sister, uh, as we describe later, she described it as Zoom crunch, <laughs> where the door went <laughs> Zoom. So that's what we're doing right now. We should mention Paul and I are both doing crunches. on. <laughs> Dude, you're looking fit. You too, dog. Uh, the... Uh, so it took off her toenail. <gasps> what? And my mom, you know, wraps it up and is trying to deal with it to get her home and put a Band-Aid over it and, like, stop it bleeding. And as she's pulling into our driveway, I'm not born yet. This is all a story, you know, I was, I was told. My mom is taking out Amy, who's crying. She's taking out my sister, Annie, who's crying because she's an infant. And they're running to oh the house God. to take care of this. And our next door neighbor, this woman stepped out and went, Jeannie, Jeannie. And my mom stopped there. She was like, Elvis Presley died. <laughs> oh, what? This is all at the same time? Yeah. And my mom, not necessarily even a big Elvis fan, like was like, who the fuck cares? Like, I, this is I'm in the middle of like, it was just, the story is about how like, when a celebrity dies and you're in your own shit, it, like sometimes you can just be like, uh, what the fuck does this be? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and just it being a wild experience. But because of that, we know it was 1977. But Jesus, you guys, the, the Rust household couldn't watch Suspiria or the Living Daylights with the same amount of security that, say, the Gorley household could. I mean, the Gorley household was a Bond household. To begin with, and we weren't. So good luck. Good luck us <laughs> on us even watching the Living Daylights. I would have liked to, but nobody's going to rent uh, that for our house. Oh man, yeah, and we were not a Suspiria household. I don't think my parents were avant-garde enough to have understood the bombastic art forms of the giallo genre. <laughs> Do you have a, in your mind? Your parents have a. Uh, your mom or your dad have a a rental in your mind that is their rental or, or a type of movie, a, a title that they would mm. have rented. It's interesting. My mom was pretty into movies and my dad was like, you got to see 2001 and things like that. You know, producers, he, he introduced me to the producers in 2001. Damn. That's um, huge, man. But yeah. And then, but mostly it was like hot dog, the movie and you know, Thankfully, things like Vacation and Caddyshack and stuff, those were his, yeah. his speed. My mom was, she would watch anything and everything. She's like me. She would love, she loved movies. And I remember Godfather 2 was on TV and she was saying, I'm going to watch this. It's unedited. You can't watch it. And I said, please let me watch it. I've seen the trailers. I, I can tell. I, and I'm a little kid and I'm going like, I can tell I really want to know this movie. And she did. And I Aww. remember seeing Godfather 2 at a really young age and a, like different from the Halloween story I had. This was like, I was like, what is this? Oh my God. And yeah. I was so excited by it. And oh. and I loved drama at such a young age. I mean, I doubt I followed all the complexities, but I certainly, it brought me back time and time again, you know? Yeah. Whatever theater bug you ended up having, I'm sure that was getting cultivated with watching Godfather 2 with your mom. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, And the speaking of that three strip uh, Technicolor, I think that was Godfather 2 might've been the last American release that got to have that that look oh wow and now uh yes Suspiria 
in Brantley Palmer's notes, the great one and only Brantley Palmer. He uh, gave us some notes that uh, about uh, some wonderful notes about Suspiria. And then, yeah, uh, was the last film to be done with three-strip Technicolor. And there was one place in Rome that had a machine to develop it. And uh, <coughs> uh, they uh, managed to get them to do it. And when I say they... Yeah, I believe Dario Argento I, begged them yeah. to not throw it away until his film was done. That's how how much a dying form that was. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I can't, um, I'm no expert by any means. I've probably seen maybe 10 or a dozen uh, just Italian horror movies. Uh, but, like, what, uh, along with the opening, just, yeah, what was the stuff that, like, was your first impact? Like, what hit you? I, I don't, I guess there were a few moments, but it was just the overall effect. And also just thinking about it in a contemporary sense and also thinking about it historically, uh -huh. people must've thought this was mind blowing and also batshit at the same time, uh -huh. you know, because there's a dated aspect to it that now is quaint and interesting. And I remember seeing things like this when I was a kid and being off put by it because it was so jarring and, and, you know, like unrealistic, uh -huh. but Art, artistry wise there's that shot that pulls back when she's in her dorm room and it goes behind the light bulb which is illuminated <gasps> yeah. and you see it through the light bulb and then she turns the lights off and everything goes green that was incredible yeah and then the yeah. little like fuse inside the light bulb right yeah the little filament yeah Oof. i know the, the that, way lights me, summed could, it up uh, go on and off you know we we sometimes we're little shits we're little stinkers about the lamp. Uh, you turn off the lamp and it makes the whole room go dark and it takes yeah. 10 seconds for the rest of the lights to shut off when it does it. There's <laughs> so many cool in camera lighting stuff that happens where you're just like, yeah. man, I, maybe it was the Technicolor. Just the ability to go from one color to the other without things getting like blown out. It, it yeah, and just, the lightning was green and blue at times. Yeah. It was just yeah. The thing I'm thinking about it really about felt is like she, theater uh, lighting. What's that? It really felt like theater lighting. Oh yes, like, yes, yes. I yeah. mean that scene when she goes down the hallway and the reflection, uh, the 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 woman who's like the custodian with the little oh, yeah. uh, Lord Fauntleroy boy, the little uh, ten year old Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> is that how ten year old Conan looks? Yeah. <laughs> in that and outfit? I imagine how he dressed. Yeah. I mean, as much as he makes fun of me, I th he's told me off mic. That's basically what he looked like <laughs> to a certain extent. Anyway, I'm fine perpetuating that. I, uh, I want to keep talking about the theatrical, like whatever, how it looks like theater and stuff. But if we could just take a moment, there's nothing funnier than to me, to me than like the little Lord Fauntleroy. Like, I know. Type. What is it? The Dutch boy, paint boy, the little Lord Fauntleroy. Uh, and just, yeah, that they're like fussy princes of their own little kingdom is just so funny. Always in short pants, often velveteen short pants. This guy, especially little nephew Albert, what's his story? Because he's in on the coven meeting. We see him there. We don't know anything about him. He's just skulking around yes. in his... Whose child some, is that? Somehow, Whose child we? Whose child he's being is this? Raised. 
<laughs> he's being raised by this coven. We don't even know if he's inherently bad or good. He's just Albert and he's there. You know, it's freaky. I love some of the unexplained things like the oh, murderous phantom killer. We don't even know who the killer is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, the image of the little boy, I guess a lot of this because it does feel like a dream or a nightmare. So whatever the visual, whatever feelings it gives you is the, maybe the right one or whatever. Or, yeah. Uh, doesn't, but like when I see that boy, he looks like he's from not of 1977. It looks like a post-war yeah. or war, world war two period boy. And this is where I get to over my skis and stuff because I don't know. I don't know history at all and stuff like, so you could maybe even help me out here. But um, it seemed almost like what a child during World War II might have felt like in Italy where you're, it's a little um, fascist or. Yeah, and, it, it and has that like. The occult is this thing that's in power and you have no control over it. The only thing you can be is like, the child that observes it and maybe in a um, slightly, unfortunately evil way ends up working with them. It, 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 it's like the sadness of like a, I don't know, a boy who gets kind of like thrown into uh, some sort of weird hierarchy that's pulling the strings over people. Yeah, it's like he's in a Hitler slash Mussolini youth, but also found a woman's wig from the 1920s. Yes. That old saw. A <laughs> time and a tale as old as time. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, the, oh, but going back to the theater thing you were saying, like, that's what I really love about um, watching Coppola stuff, like Francis Ford Coppola, like even. Apocalypse Now, uh, well, speaking of Godfather 2, previously, but um, Apocalypse Now and One from the Heart, they start doing this thing where they're just doing, oh, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. They're doing like yeah. in-camera theater tricks. And I know he came from theater uh, in college and he did puppet shows when he was a boy. And, and then when he went to college, did plays. And just even when I watch a Francis Ford Coppola movie, I'm like, that dude is focusing on the texture of a curtain more because he likes live theater and plays. I don't know how to like explain it. It's just like, that's where he I think gets you're right. I think enjoyment. there's a certain amount, amount of not looking through the camera and looking with his eyes on set and the, the yeah. tactile feeling yeah. of touching props and scenery. Cause I mean, you know, more as much as anyone that if you go onto a set, things that look real on camera really don't often look real right. in real life. So I feel like you go onto a Francis Ford Coppola set and it looks real, you know, just like, especially Kubrick and, and reading that shining book, mm -hmm. which I finished already, by the way. Oh my God. That's why uh, uh, you have a haunted look in your eyes. And <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Uh, that I can't believe it. And then I didn't realize they rebuilt that overlook hotel giant lounge for Dr. Sleep. And I, can you imagine being able to walk into both of those? And the Kubrick version is probably truly indistinguishable from real life. Cause of the, I know they like worked 
so many hours on getting the plaster right, but I bet the Dr. Sleep version is really kind of a escape room haunted house style. <laughs> You know. Halloween Horror Nights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the thing that um, hit me the most, though, that was like part theater, but also just part like haunted house, uh, was um, near the end when they're coming up on a silhouette behind a curtain, and it's as simple as a curtain's going to get pulled back and the silhouette won't be there. Like that was one of the scariest moments of the movie. But as it was happening, I'm like, well, this would be as if I was like walking through a haunted house. There's nothing. It's just filming something theatrical in a direct way. It's uh, really powerful. I know. I just, I saw this. I'm glad I hadn't seen any of these movies because I think I saw this at the right time in my life. I think I'm at maximum appreciation for this because there would have been a, a long time when I was younger where this would have been not dated enough and it would have felt weird and slightly cheesy. And then there's the period of like, oh, you're supposed to be cool by liking these movies and almost like a Tarantino-esque appreciation of something like this. Because let's be honest, even more so than a Carpenter film, there's seams and there's uh, a little bit of, I don't know, like the blood doesn't look real. It's all heightened. It's kind of, it's not a huge budget. There's a, there's a certain sloppiness to it. That is like part of its charm. But also I think there would have been a, like, it's cool to like this kind of thing. Now I don't carry any of that shit with me anymore. And I was just able to really appreciate this on every level, whether it's intentional or not. And knowing that a lot of it is, and most of it is intentional, but even the 10% that isn't intentional really adds to it. Yeah. And I look forward to watching, you know, at least the other two in the trilogy of this, the the mothers of sorrow trilogy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's awesome what you said about just like, yeah, when a finding the right moment to watch it. Um, Isn't that sad though, that you sometimes you could see a good movie and it might not have been the right time of life to see it. And, and it's wonderful that when you do, you, you know, sometimes you get the perfect movie at the perfect time and it's heaven, but I feel like there's probably a bunch of movies that I've seen that I would have really liked at another time in my life, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a time where, I saw a movie too early to appreciate it and it nearly ruined, it it could have ruined the subsequent. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's weird because in those cases, is it like, oh, does one thing like stick with you in order to like make you go back to it? Like if you, if you had watched it earlier, it would have been like, I remember liking the goblin music, so I'll go back and give it one more try. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. just thinking, like, how does fate find you again to get you back to the thing? But right, um, right. I hear you though. Like, I'm sure probably in 2007, and I like the movie Juno a lot. But if Juno is listing one of her likes as Italian horror movies, that might be a point of yeah cultural uh, saturation right. for that thing, exactly. you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you need like some period away from it, a good 15 years or so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did it. <laughs> um, yeah. I saw it. Um, my 
first stuff was uh, because, um, well, speaking of Juno, uh, the Diablo Cody, you know, she went to the University of Iowa. And uh, I saw my first Italian horror movie at the University of uh, Iowa in uh, a horror film class. Which movie? Uh, uh, Deep Red. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's another one I want to watch. And then the... Can't remember the order. It was either before that or after that. This uh, um, Fulci movie, The Beyond, got released Mm. in our local Bijou Theater. Um, It got like a re-release in the States and it was going to like the art house theaters where we would see stuff like Dancer in the Dark or The Piano Teacher, you know, stuff that was like, it's going to fuck up your soul, you know? So (laughs) going and seeing the beyond and just seeing like a big tarantula crawling across somebody's face and like tearing up flesh and stuff. My friends were, we loved it so much and the goblin music and everything. Uh, So I, and then in a way that education, I guess a higher education should work. I did have a professor who, who showed us, yeah, deep red. And then also showed us, uh, the Mario Bava movie, Black Sabbath, and helped like kind of give it context of just being like, to even explain what was, the fuck was going on with their voices, why their lips moved sometimes with the words and sometimes they did it. Yeah. He was the first person, uh, my professor was the first person to explain the like Tower of Babel type of recording where everybody just speaks in their own natural language and then they dub it over with whatever language they need later. Yeah. Uh, if I had just been watching that at home we would have just been like that was weird <laughs> but it was nice having a teacher the next day like hold my hand through it you know <laughs> um but yeah but also um i remember when i saw it in college too and i'm those movies it really made sense all the like scorsese stuff of like the colors and specifically the way like those cuckoo camera moves man like when somebody mm. will walk across a room, I guess Hitchcock sort of does this stuff, but whatever that crazy thing is, like she'll walk down a hallway and then when she gets down the hallway, then the camera like zooms up behind her and she turns like, uh, and then, you know, obviously that gets like way amped up with like Scorsese and stuff, but whatever that like camera has its own sort of consciousness following that stuff. I remember being like the music and the color and then just like, Oh, I thought old, quote unquote, old movies, movies before Return of the Jedi, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, The the delineation mark of golden age cinema. cinema. Uh, Wait, so which side does Return of the Jedi fall on? It's the last of the golden age or the beginning of new movies? The beginning of new cinema. The beginning (laughs) of like ultimate, like let's just mush this with a spoon to get it to go down your throat kind of. Gotcha. Uh, uh, so yeah, when I watched, uh, that and I was seeing all those like, whatever, wicked camera movements and like, uh, like how amped up it was. I didn't know older movies could do that. And I didn't know horror movies could like do it in that way. That was like so exciting. Yeah. Um, I know the, like that camera movie you're talking about, there's one that just dollies with Tanner's feet as she walks down the hall, but it's in perfect sync with her feet. It's so cool. Yeah. Those little counting the footsteps, right? Uh, that's a good trick. We got to learn that to do that. Yeah. Um, 
did I ever tell you I worked at an office once where um, uh, I had a coworker who, when they walked by me, the floors were so shittily made. I was like on a second floor with them. When they would walk by and join me in the cubicle next to mine, we were doing like uh, whatever, who cares? Just doing stuff for reality shows. Uh, uh-huh. I was like uh, sitting there once and the floor started moving. And I was like, oh, so-and-so is coming to sit next to me. And I looked over and I saw that they were sitting there and the floor kept moving and it turned out to be an earthquake. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> not a witch, not my coworker. <laughs> so your coworker was an earthquake. <laughs> Something like uh. that. I think it was the wrestler earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where should we start? Well, we've already kind of Dove into the beginning, so let's continue with that. I love that the character of the girl who's escaping this dance class is named Pat Hingle, which is also the name of the actor who plays Commissioner Gordon in the Michael Keaton Batman. So I don't know what to do with that information, but I just want everybody to know that. Okay, I'm glad you said that because when they said her name, I did do like a little, oh, like Pat Hingle? Yeah, Um, me too. Yeah, um... Uh, probably the most memorable Commissioner Gordon. It, oh. No, I'm kidding. I think he, uh, <laughs> he gets pretty swept under the rug in the sequels and stuff. You know what? I do like him because he's really nice. Do you remember there's a moment in Batman where he's talking to his, like, just cops I know in the beginning? That's the only time. Yeah. I, that's my main memory of him. How he passed that yeah, guy's back. He's like, okay, yeah. thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Go, go, go. Like, it's his boys, and it's like it's his children, and we couldn't have a kinder, gentler Commissioner Gordon, everyone? Uh, now, uh, it's interesting you bring that up, because I think I recently read that there's that comes a little bit from a deleted, maybe even unshot scene, where it's oh, like sort it. of established that he's got a secret police team working for him. And so he oh. is kind of doing it like, hey, we're in cahoots, so just yes, thank you for keeping me in the loop. Uh, and, and when I heard that, it honestly broke my heart. I was like, he's not as nice? <laughs> well, right. But he's still at least nice to these guys. Is That's this a true. secret f- task force that understands they work with Batman? Or what's, I don't know. I just love that this this conversation would have never happened with anyone else, anywhere else, <laughs> at any other time. Thank I you, was Suspiria. just saying that how funny that we took such comfort in Commissioner Gordon <laughs> <know>. being nice. <laughs> it's so true, though. Why do we respond so heavily to that? I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Suspiria, Pat Engel, take a couple of notes. Yeah, you could learn. Now I want to see the remake to see if Chloe Grace Moritz, who plays excuse me, Patricia Hingle in the remake has as drawn on any of the actor Pat Hingle's I wonder choices. if they did the Patricia because uh, the Pat Hingle estate was like, you're going to have that to pay point, big yeah. bucks. Well, he's like writ in history, carved in stone, and they're like, we can't have this character live in the shadow of the 1989 Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> have you seen the new Suspiria? The Luca Guadagnino? I did. I saw it in the theater uh, when it came out and it was awesome. Blew my mind. Okay, yeah. I, I This definitely made me curious to watch that and 1989 Batman. <laughs> yeah, this was, I think, the third time I saw Suspiria. I remember uh, I bought the DVD when I was in Canada because it was a hard thing to come by. 
Uh, uh, yeah, it's not even... Uh, for me, it was. Where did you watch it this time? Because I don't think it's... I watched it on Plex. I couldn't find it anywhere but Canopy, I think. I watched it I on Plex, have. too, as well. Oh. And uh, yeah. it was scrubbed of a loco loco. So, yeah, it must be yeah. a difficult title to pin down. Because, yeah, I wasn't able to buy it until I got this like weird... Not weird, but just like a North American version of it. When I went up to Canada, I bought it. And then much like the, um, it's funny that you said finding the right time to watch it because for the longest time I saved that Suspiria DVD to watch it. Cause I was like, I know people say this is great and I want to have a moment, not, um, where I can most appreciate it. It was more like I might have a down time, like a bad time personally. And I might need uh. Suspiria to like, lift me up that's like oh. what i was saving it for oh and then i think i brought it having me. a down what's that well if you're having a downtime and you just watch suspiria and batman <laughs> the bad hingle double feature the yeah. double hingle <laughs> you heard of a double hinge door what about and a you've heard of a single hingle but this is a double hingle a single hingle oh hand me the pringles <laughs> Hey, that's kind of like a jingle. What? Look at that. Uh, see, I ended it there just by going, hey, look at that. No, that was that was safe. Um, wait, wait, wait. Uh, 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 you were oh, saying oh, so you yeah, had the DVD. I saw it on DVD. I saved it. I don't even know if I saved it for when I was necessarily having a bummer time, but eventually watched it. And then I think the second time I saw it was uh, went to a cemetery screening out here in Los Angeles. Ooh. That was really fun. Oh, at the Hollywood Forever? Yeah. Oh, that would have been a good one. Yeah. If memory serves me correctly, I think it was there. I, I remember doing a big outdoor public, yeah, uh, screening public as if people pay a ticket to see it. And then, yeah, yeah this was my next time. And I saw I the remake that. between the second and third time. I do that sometimes with things like I bought the DVD set of the original Cosmos with Carl Sagan. And I was just going to say, next time I'm really sick, I'm going to go through them all. And I got sick a number of times, but never sick enough to get all the way through them. And to this day, I don't think I've seen the last two episodes. I did the same thing with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I got through that. And I, Claudius, sits in wait. I think I've watched the first episode of that like three times. But they, they, they're there for me. That's awesome. Know? Uh, yeah, I have a, I think a couple episodes of police squad still that I've been saving for a rainy (laughs) day because that era of Zucker brother Abrams joke is so, you only get surprised once with those jokes. So you got to save them when you, (laughs) you You got to be in the right state of mind to appreciate it. Um, should we take a pee break and then we've already started diving in the sequence. We'll come back and continue on. Wonderful. We'll be right back. With Paulie and Rust. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With Polly and Rust. All right. We're back. Oh. <laughs> That's the, the call that witches make. <laughs> well, I was I was so curious to understand what Suspiria even means, but it translates as a sigh or a whisper. And this title comes from what is it like Suspiria de Profundis or something like the profound whisper. It's I think ah. it's basically the noise the the witch is making when she's snoring. Okay. But it does sound like um the score kind of has that stuff. Like it's always like stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It sounds very, uh, I kind of like to imagine they hired some of those gremlins. I love and got them into the recording booth and with the goblins, they got the yeah. gremlins in with goblin. Yeah. 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 I bet the eighties were a tough time for goblins when they saw gremlins kind of overshadowed. I know. I know. I feel bad, <laughs> but they were great. You know, the 2000s because of Lord of the Rings, man. I mean, they can't complain. <laughs> they they came back in full force. Yeah. But Suspiria, I didn't know that. That's like a great word for when you hear hushy whispers. Ugh. Yeah. This hospital is filled with a lot of Suspiria right now. Oh, yeah. This church has got a lot of Suspiria going on. It reminds <laughs> yeah. me of Man with Two Brains when they're like, what are they saying? Uh, they're saying, hur, hur, hur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny how much I love this movie, but I actually have very few notes because it's such a mood piece. It wasn't, it wasn't a ton of like, Oh, got to write this down. Got to write this down. Yeah. I mean, I have some, but you know, well here we'll, uh, we'll go through them. What was, um, what was your, uh, well, Hey, what was your thoughts on, uh, Jessica Harper? The, uh, the actor, Gosh. Uh, who plays Susie here. Yeah. She's great. I, you know, was familiar with her work, but I looked at her IMDb and realized how many movies she's in that I have not seen. She just one of those actresses that has not crept into my experience all that much, even though she's been in a ton of notable movies. Yeah. Um, I know her, uh, from Phantom of the Paradise. What, what, What were some notable Harper's on that IMDb? Oh, you're asking me to access my memory? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll have to look. No, don't worry about it. But, uh, um, I I was disappointed because I thought her name was Jessica Harpo. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad, man. Yeah. She's in Minority Report. She's in the new TV series for Fatal Attraction. She's in Bones and All. She's in... Uh, She's in the remake of Suspiria. She's in um, 
uh, what else here? Uh, no, that, those are that's good. Those titles work for me. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember the the recent edition of Minority Report. Um, Who does she play in that? Uh, the woman who's murdered, I think. The woman oh, at the, in the right. river. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was funny. Um, the rollout for Minority Report was so fun because you didn't know what it was about necessarily. They were keeping things secret and you're going to have to see the movie to fully know what's going on. But I remember like two days before the movie came out, they started putting commercials on TV and I was watching with my friend Jake and uh, near the end of the 30 second spot, somebody went, you've got to find the minority report. <laughs> and then it went on to the next commercial and my friend Jake looked over at me and he was like, hmm, you've got to find the minority report. And I was like, I know what's happening. <laughs> uh, but little did we know that uh, Jessica Harper was going to be, the pivot point of that movie. Um, this. Yeah, the, uh, uh, that opening. Also, I just like when they can find like little, when a scary or surreal movie just like finds something surreal in an everyday experience. Like that movie, Three Women, the Robert Altman movie. Yeah. It's really weird, but it's also weird because it's like how it's weird when you first come to a job and everybody knows what they're doing and somebody's like explaining it to you. And like mm-hmm. the same thing with this, I was like, it does have like, doesn't have to go too far beyond reality to have some like surrealness of like, Oh, going to a door that's like locked in a rainstorm or like having to like yeah. beg the taxi driver to help you get your luggage. Like there are all these weird, uh, surreal moments and then yeah the colors and the the sets and stuff when you were saying like the sort of like when you can see some of the strings that's one of the strings i love the most that you can see is the sets are just like near the end when it's falling apart the sets are just like wobbling and stuff it's, yeah, <laughs> it's the awesome. actual flats i love it the art direction's amazing yeah these geometric we, patterns what would you call yeah. that it's like and then the stained glass I don't know. What is that style? I don't know what style that is. It's almost like Gothic Nouveau or something. I I really don't. It's maybe it's its own style. I don't know. When you say like, like um, three women and you're being introduced to the world by someone explaining it to you, that reminds me of when Lily Tomlin is orienting um, Jane Fonda in nine to five, but the character of Roz who wears a, you know, a woman's suit skirt set. And I started thinking because of this movie of the great, that great archetype in cinema. So you've got (laughs) Mrs. Tanner in this Rosa Klebb from never say never again, (laughs) nurse, nurse ratchet, even though it's a a nurse's uniform, it's very much the same cut. And you got Roz from nine to five. Are there any others, but it's such a, it's just the most amazing archetype. I automatically popped one in my mind. It's from the same era. Uh, uh, um, a web, uh, in Superman three. Oh yes. Wagner's not Robert Wagner, Robert Vaughn's sister has that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you got listeners out there know any more, 
tell us in the comments, smash that like button, like, and subscribe. Hey guys, YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, YouTube. <laughs> uh, the, um, and then, right. The, uh, once she arrives, I love that thing of like one story is kind of ending as she, is going out the simplicity of just like one's going out the door while she's going in and she's going to wind up exactly yeah. in that spot again. Yeah. And then if you love this, uh, little bit of flavor, you're going to love, uh, Jello's my man. Uh, the little yeah. stuff where they cut back to her each time they get a little closer to finding out the word she's saying in the storm, that kind of like yes. mystery yeah. whodunit thing. Yeah. That's, perfectly like bizarre is yeah. that is for me the most like giallo thing is like when they keep going back to her and it's like yeah the secret the secret irises <laughs> turn the third iris the blue iris yeah and then it, it's sort of bizarre like what you were saying about how if you watch this movie in the 70s how it kind of be I mean, it's still was sort of batshit, just like how then it picks up with that woman's story and then goes with her where she was with this other woman. And then that's where that woman ends up getting attacked. Yeah. That room they live in with the black and white wallpaper. Did you see that wallpaper? That's like, oh, it's the wait, girl who that- runs away from the school and then she winds up at the other apartment. Um, I thought the black and white wallpaper was in the room of the other girl she stays with. The kind of mean one. Oh, yes. The one, well, that really spooky part where she looks out the window and sees green eyes. Yeah. I think that's like the scariest part of the movie for me is those green eyes. Uh, I know. When does that fall in the room with the black and white wallpaper? I, I guess I'm misremembering that, but do you remember that wallpaper? Yeah. Um, did you, have you seen stuff like that in real life? Like my grandparents had something like that, but it was like velvety. It, 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 it sort of yeah. came up off the wallpaper and you could touch it. And yeah, it's, it's, I think the term for it is damasked and Whoa. depending, right <laughs> depending, on that. <laughs> depending on what angle you look at it, it will catch the light. There are various types like the velvet is one that you don't need to like look around to see the the sheen change because it's an actual change in texture but damasked wallpaper is almost like i think it has what's called a nap which is like the grain of the fabric woven into it that catches light differently like if you ever rub a blanket and Uh it has like a cat's fur it can you know it it looks different depending on the way it's going yeah yeah and damasked uh, wallpaper was big in like saloons in the old West time. And then I think in the seventies as well, or maybe even like the twenties and thirties. Yeah. It would have had to have been like, right. The early seventies because my grandparents who moved out of their house, you know, their boys moved out of the house in the mid seventies. Um, their four sons, including my dad. And then the house just kind of stayed the same. And so when Mm. we'd go there, it was so fun as like an eight year old to touch that wallpaper and kind of do the yeah. like cats fur thing you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, grownups were pretty cool. Nobody ever was like, don't touch that. I think because the house just like reeked of cigarette smoke and stuff. They were both, <laughs> so like nobody really cared. Oh man, talk about a wallpaper that would keep a scent in it. That's oh, the one. It was so 70. I mean, like the main thing I think like is scariest about Psycho, truly deep down for everyone is like walking into old decor. <laughs> yeah. Old stale, smoky, dusty, whatever that feeling it gives you of like mustiness of like yeah. something is dead or alive, but nearly dead. Yeah. And knowing that a visual decision toward decor hasn't been made in 30 years out of complacency is a scary I'm thing. I'm getting goosebumps actually, as you say it. It's like existential sort of, oh, this is the the fate of humans to like go gently into that good night visually because yeah. you just don't care anymore. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I hope some people will stay fit and jog till their dying day. I will hopefully... I could eat my words, keep an eye to my surroundings till my dying day until I'm the ugliest thing in it. And then I have to go like Oscar Wilde once said this, either this wallpaper goes or I do. That's the story before he died. Did he really say that? I, who knows, but that's the legend. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, he should have like made it clear. Like that's also my epitaph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that line, that's also my epitaph, is not part of my epitaph. I, I, why do I have an American accent? <laughs> uh, yeah, the... Uh, uh, um, oh, oh, the... Yes, so you're saying like the... Seeing the sunset through the window kind of feeling of walking into a, a room that hasn't... Somebody hasn't made the decision to move on. The, the Yeah, it's more like the sun has set. There's lingering light, but you can't see a, a source of light. What's worse, yeah. though, is when um, uh, something from another era just kind of gets dropped down into that. So my oh, parents, yeah. my grandparents got sick. So they needed one of those. And this is the saddest part of them being sick is the decor changed. Yeah, no, I know what you uh, mean. No, they just, they just got <laughs> one. One of those chairs that's like the, you can buy it off of an infomercial or whatever. You just yeah. push the button and it like lifts a it up. Brookstone recliner or sit up, yeah, assist chair. Whatever technology they use in a hospital bed, it's now right. brought to you in your lazy boy kind of thing. Yeah. And so to see something like from 1989 dropped into a 1972 decor actually makes it way worse. And it's depressing. It's really depressing. Oh, it is so, yeah. everything I'm describing yeah. here is like, it was the most yeah. depressing place to go. I love my grandparents, but good golly. But the ultimate, the cherry on this that I'll just end here, the, you know, the little, the button, that the button that goes up and down, that could yeah. maybe be the one source of joy found in this room outside of the TV playing like TBS. Uh -huh. It's like, but even that, they kept the plastic bag with the rubber band, like whatever it came oh. delivered in. They oh, didn't wow. take that off because I think they thought it kept it nice. I don't know. Oh, so it was boy. just, you know how instantly like plastic baggies just look like shit quickly yeah. if you put something in them and take them out. Yeah. Is everybody like crinkling it with their hand each time until it was just this like gross plastic bag mashed on this like oh no 
Oh, oh it's sweaty. It just had a film of like sweat. Oh boy. Oh man. Man, come on. It's cozy. <laughs> so what would, let's go okay, let's get out of the swamp. What were some cozy stuff in Suspiria? Let's wash this off. Sorry. Well, that's the beautiful thing about this movie is it's equal parts off putting and beautiful and cozy and discomforting. And so yeah. it works so well as a horror movie that draws you in and pushes you out and draws you in. Some movies will do that and it's the opposite effect. It's like you're every time this movie pushed me back in, I wanted to get drawn back in. Yeah, and, you're but right. Some, like a zombie movie is occasionally there'll be something that'll bring you in, but then it just keeps pushing me out, you know. That ratio of like beauty to grotesqueness is like or whatever that breakdown is. You're right. This is like more eight to two beauty yeah. to grotesqueness. Right, right. It's a perfect ratio. Yeah. It's the golden ratio. <laughs> This is the definition of the golden ratio. Yeah. I do yeah. think that's like why this movie does seem to have, this is, you know, I'd like to think goes beyond just anecdotally, you know, all horror movies, uh, horror movies are beloved by both men and women. I think percentage wise, uh, it sales at movies and stuff. Now it breaks down to like 52, 48 more women go to horror movies than men now. Oh, so, that's cool. Um, so it's not, to say they don't have an appeal outside of Suspiria, but Suspiria, there's something that is so successful as a horror movie for an audience because I felt it when we saw it at that big public screening and, you know, men and women are all out in a park watching this movie. Mm-hmm. It was like all of these women, these late seventies women are amazing. To, ballet dancers are just amazingly photographed and if you're a boy you like looking at it and if you're a girl you like looking at it because they're all it's all just high style it's just like it is so much more fun to watch than for a girl i imagine than the thing yeah right (laughs) a bunch of like bearded balding guys and like heavy (laughs) coats i mean the thing is amazing too it's just like so funny to imagine the i wasn't necessarily going there But putting them on a, a scale between those two is pretty crazy. That's a good point, yeah. Um, but it is fun looking at all those 70 styles. Oh, man. Uh, whoever, what's the character's name that's like the first young boy that does the errands that's a dancer? Oh, that they're like, have a crush on and he yeah. might have a crush on her. Which, Bradley's, oh, go ahead. Well, the first scene he's in, I... I cannot believe how physically tight his pants are to the point of I worried about him. Like circulation wise. Yeah. Jeans. It's, you know, these aren't like tights. They were, they were jeans and they were, did you look carefully? Maybe like the sets, it it was sort of like a paint job. (laughs) Body paint. (laughs) Could be. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, uh, um, that boy, when, he showed up and then, oh, that reminds me of in Brantley's notes, how originally this was supposed to be 12-year-old girls. Oh, yeah. And then people said to Dario Argento, oh, you got to make it girls in their 20s. It'll be less so. I don't know if they would use the word controversial, maybe incendiary or something. Like I think people, they were worried about the censors, right? Yeah. Something, yeah. But then he didn't change any of the dialogue, and that's why some of the dialogue sounds so childlike, which... 
it all works because the mute goblin sounds like crazy lullaby, scary lullabies and stuff. Yeah, and there's a fairy tale feel to this. I think yeah. it's an amazing You're right. unintended consequence or, or at least like lemons out of lemonade. Oh, something. definitely. I mean, like or it helped me at the time. I wasn't necessarily going like, oh, that's not right. But like later in retrospect, like when they're talking about that boy and she's like, do you think that boy wants to make it with you? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. That is not and a, also, like, I, yeah. <laughs> I would have never thought these movies were kind of as chaste as they were. I would have thought, you know, 70s Italy, this is going to be nothing but boobs. Yeah. And there's no n- none and no suggestion of it. I mean, thankfully, seeing as how this was intended to be 12 year old girls, but I had no idea. Yeah, you're right. And there's, it's not even like that um, kind of like, lascivious stuff where it like lingers too much on uh somebody's body if anything it lingers too long on like the somebody falling into barbed wire yeah (laughs) i mean the violence is for sure oh and that was a one take deal because it hurt her so bad (laughs) yeah so uh, that blew my mind yeah me too because there was so many thoughts going on i i was like First of all, is that supposed to be barbed wire? What is this? Then reading Brantley's notes that that's wire that was barbed wire, but they cut the barbs off. And and then I'm thinking, well, are there still little nubs on there? Little rough nubs? And it really hurt her, I guess. So they did one take. Yeah, and I guess it still had the capacity to like wrap tightly, despite not having the barbs. But I was like, first of all, it didn't look enough like barbed wire where i understood they had to use the wire with the barbs taken off i'm like i think there's probably things that look like barbed wire that you could just fake it it was such a weird choice (laughs) it was interesting Uh, um but the uh yeah that um i mean we can i guess we'll get to it but the um Overall, with all of these, what's funny, but like that one in particular, I really enjoyed where it's like, it is sort of how a dream works. Like she's inside this big room yeah. and the latch just isn't fully going up. It's kind of almost to a degree that it's like absurd that it can't, it's just there to only terrify yes. you. Yeah, yeah. And then there is a window to get out, but it's 10 feet high and it's yeah. small. So she gets this little stack up. This is where it's similar to when the dog attacks the guy later. It's all this like joke of like set up, set up, set up where you think it's going to come one way. And yeah. then just out of nowhere, like she gets up to the stand, goes through the window, and then she falls into barbed wire. <laughs> it is so absurd. You make it makes you think that that was the plan all along and that whoever this killer is is just like. I got to act like I can't open this knob to kind of prod her along. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, the whole point of this is the barbed wire room. Uh, Why is she taking so long to figure out the luggage thing in the window? I mean, this has so to be long. one of the longest escape room attempts ever. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, uh, but yeah, it's the same thing as when that guy went into that town square and he's seen shadows like flying over him. You're like, oh my god, are statues coming alive? And they're going to attack him. Like, nope, his own dog just tears out yeah. his neck. Yeah, crazy. Um, now I think that brings in the next scene when that guy did find out uh, the the blind man with the seeing eye dog is told yeah. that the dog attacked the boy. Yeah. Um, Matt, I know you've worked previously in the educational field. How would you feel if somebody? who ran the school, came in and interrupted a class to tell you that Margot had 
<laughs> a chunk out of a child's leg. I'd say that sounds right. I apologize. Uh, let's see if we can handle this in a settlement and not a lawsuit. Why did you bring Margot to school that day, Matt? Oh, she's my seeing eye cat. Does such a I'm thing her- exist? Can you trust a cat? No. No, certainly not. <laughs> that cat not would probably be like, yeah, follow me. I'm taking you to the library. And then you find out you're in a big old litter box. Oh, Margot would just take take us straight to food. What's a like a big old fish market? Yeah. She yeah, that's exactly right. She'd take me all the way up to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. Now has Margot ever snuck out of the house and or anything like that? And yeah. gotten into food? Yeah, she brought a bird home once. Yeah. She ever brought back one of those just like perfectly kept fish bones? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> Do you ever get woken up in the middle of the night because Margot's standing on her hind legs on a fence singing to the moon? <laughs> I, I wish again. Oh, man. Uh, I haven't seen Margot in a while. When I come I over, know. she hides. Yeah, she's pretty chill these days. You know, she's she's advancing in years. She's now 11, I guess. I mean, I guess with the Suspiria, with the dog, a cat does seem more like a witch's pet. So yeah, having that a dog is interesting. around there, probably is not good for the dog. No, that's true. But I'm surprised there weren't cats, you know? Yeah, to see some, a couple just like academy cats. I know. You know, like how a bookstore has a cat? Yeah. I'm sure. It it's also just- makes sense because when you finally see this witch, mm-hmm. it's a classic witch other than she's not wearing a witch's hat, but we're talking like kind of that big witch's nose, the green mottled skin. It's a proper witch. Yeah. When you see after the little glint, right. And she, she, uh, uh, stabs the invisible witch. Yeah. When you see her makeup, Oh my God, my heart soared. I love that makeup. The witchy makeup. I did too. Now, Matt, apparently the, uh, people who make, who made the Suspiria remake. I think they also like that witch makeup because it's a large portion of the remake is what do the witches look like? What do you mean? It's a large portion. What do they look like? What do you mean? (laughs) When you watch the remake for Suspiria, it'll end and you'll go, well, I definitely know what those witches look like. There's just, it's a... You just see them a lot? The body effects and stuff are, it's a big uh, emphasis in the movie. Oh, in a good way or a bad way? I loved it, but oh. I, I wonder what the ratio of uh, pretty to grotesque is with that. Oh, it might be a little different. Yeah, okay, fascinating. Um, the Mrs. Blanc character, she's like the American woman who lives there. I like how she warns the girls not to get into questionable relationships. Wait, the the sort of Oh. No, sorry. Yeah, there's Miss oh, Blanc. Uh, yeah. And then Sarah. Yes, and then Sarah's the new friend yeah. who has a name that starts with an S and just like right. snakes. Isn't it weird that the woman she shares an apartment with, her character just kind of disappears. You don't really yeah. see her anymore. I know. That's like Partly, yeah, the fact that she just shows up at that place unannounced or whatever, and then leave. I mean, it is yeah. definitely um, 
those are those things where I, I like, I go, huh? But then I go like, well, that's fine. Cause I didn't want to see what was going to want on with her later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So both of them, Sarah and Susie have names that start with S. Yeah. Um, the ballet dance class, that classroom very cozy, Matt, with the wood paneling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that runs diagonal. like... Mm-hmm. What is that, V-shaped or oh, well, it's like a... It's not even a herringbone. It's like a intersecting or like a perpendicular 45-degree angle knotty pine with a, Ugh. you know, kind of like semi-gloss finish. Beautiful. Oh. Is that, that... That was a set, right? That, like... I, I guess. I don't know what... Yeah, I guess it would be... That's where my, um, it's now moved to my old college campus, which is a bummer because it's far less interesting, but my reoccurring dreams used to take place in a series of hallways and warehouse spaces that had that kind of wood paneling in that really? room. Really? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. I know. So when they, at the end there, when she's walking through that room again, it has all those kind of like nightmarish dream qualities where she's trying to sneak through it. I mean, the whole dream is, when I have them is... Myself alone or with a group of people, we're trying to escape it and we can't. And now yeah. it's like, oh, I'm at my college campus and I'm trying to get out and I can't. Is but, it that 45 degree slanted yeah. wood like in the brood too? Yes, yes. It's beautiful. Been, like it looks cool. And then when I heard that the Alien 3 planet was originally supposed to be a wooden planet, I was like, man, that could have scratched that itch. Yeah. We're remodeling our garage into an ADU right now and I'm starting to cook on what kind of wood wall <gasps> thing I can do. And I'm, I'm considering a seventies kind of diagonal, you know, like rust colored couch with that kind of striped yes. pattern or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. Very like, are you thinking sort of, uh, the brood, uh, kind of the little center where they, <laughs> yeah. Like that mixed with a slightly Japanese aesthetic with some like wood flooring, but also some stone flooring. Yes. Or something. We'll see. Nice. Oh my God. You have yeah. to be in heaven right now as you get to sit. I am, but it, these, the, there's this project's <gasps> been taking, it just keeps hitting stumbling blocks. So it's like, I am not allowing myself to dream yet. Cause I also don't know certain parameters. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. What was the initial you used earlier? I do IUD or. Oh, ADU accessory dwelling unit is the term, I guess the technical term for when you make a, another livable unit on your property. And you have, I think you told me this is like separate from your, like it has its own address or. Yeah, it will be permitted as its own thing. We're not going to rent it out. In fact, actually now the original thought was this was going to be Amanda's place to work, but she's not going to be working as much. So I think this will now become my office because I'm working so much now, basically full time that, so we'll eventually record in there and, um, it'll be its own, like we'll have a lot more privacy, I think too, cause it'll have a bathroom and a kitchen and everything. Oh, beautiful. And, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, just a little, just a little guy. Have you thought about doing, um, any sort of video situation there? Uh, what do you mean? Like, a Oh, when, um, um, not necessarily with the, our, our live screaming or anything like that. Yeah. But when I see these, um, hey, these beloved podcasters, 
Oh yeah. They'll, they'll set it up as kind of like a set, but for you, it's maybe more like, no, I want it to be a debate space that I feel cozy and not a, uh, yeah, but that alone could be its own set, but it would never, I would, we just don't have the room for that. But I think there is a way Ethan Klein. No, (laughs) no. Okay. (laughs) But I think there might be something like that. The biggest stumbling block to that to me is finding the bandwidth to be able to record video and upload it and all that stuff. I know that's like de rigueur for every big podcast now, but also part of me just hates it as a trend, but we'll see. Oh, then that wasn't, um, video pressure. (laughs) No, I didn't take any video pressure and, and I know video pressure when I hear it. And And Matt, you can do uh, what my sweet mom said. Uh, if I ever experienced peer pressure, you apply that to video pressure. Hey, (laughs) what? If somebody starts video pressuring you, you just say, you know what? I wish I could. It's my mom. Oh, wow. She doesn't want me to. Just tell your mom. We Uh, really should be doing video segments for this podcast. You know what? You and me, buddy. I'm with you. My mom, who's never watched or listened to a podcast, says we need to have that. (laughs) We, We don't have to do that. Um, you know, uh, as we, uh, our parents now, Matt, will have moments where like, oh, I realized what my parent did there was a cool parenting. Like your mom mm-hmm. showing Godfather too, do you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, <clears throat> um, with, uh, my parents, I, I've been just like, uh, reflecting, um, oh, never mind. We don't have what? to. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm curious. Um, oh, just like, I don't know, my freshman year of high school, I started hanging out with like a different crowd. I was still with my buddies. We were just hanging out with a couple new people and they were people who like stole cigarettes and smoked oh, them yeah. and stuff. And I look back on, you know, I was maybe 15 at the time and the way my mom put it to me was really nice she said to me she was like you know they say uh if a parent notices one of their kids is hanging around new kids they gotta wonder is are 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 they getting into trouble or is anything bad happening so i gotta ask you how's it going what's going on and the way she put the little like handle on it of they say like, this is a reality, but also, hey, you can dismiss it as, like, this is what people say. We can just kind of come at – either way, we want to come at this. This can be your truth or not. And then she laid it out to me, and I, of course, denied it. I was like, nope, they're oh. good guys. Oh. But then after that moment, I was like, oh, unconsciously I knew. My mom's checking up on me, and that feels good. Yeah, that's rude. But she did in a way that didn't feel like it was prying, or now I have to, like – fight her away. So good points for mom. (laughs) Yeah. Your mom sounds wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Not like the witches in this movie. No, no, no. Um, Are we to to the maggot part? I was just, I looked at the word maggots. So yes, I would say we are. Well, this is reminding me of two moments in my life. One, when Amanda and I went on our honeymoon, we got to our room on one of the islands and it was beautiful, and we opened oh the God. balcony, 
and it was refreshing. And we went to dinner at the hotel and we came back and the ceiling was covered in bugs. Almost couldn't even see the ceiling. And so they oh my God. were so embarrassed that they then moved us into a suite for the rest of our honeymoon at this place. And so it was like, yeah, we should bring a little jar of bugs everywhere we go, you know? Uh, but when I was in high school, once I ate a bunch of pistachios out of a tin, wasn't looking at them. And then like, I don't know, 10 or 12 pistachios in, I looked down and they were crawling with maggots. Oh, <laughs> man. You just laid down two amazing bug stories, dude. Yeah, man. Come to me for bug stories. Oh my God. The fact that this didn't come up in our temple of doom talk. I did it not because I am I am one to repeat a story without knowing. Matt, how do bugs so like it was this movie? Because what's surreal about the movie is that the, they're hanging off the ceiling. But I was like, I guess that's maybe how it would work. But you saw that bugs yeah, on a ceiling, flying bugs. Yeah, but that's what's interesting about this is that it's almost it's plausibly unrelated because they did have bad food up in the attic and sausages, but it still has that feel of like poltergeist with rotting food and yeah. just that kind of, yeah. Well, and that guy, you know, I, I've never felt more masculine in my relationships than when my partner sees a spider that they don't like or a bug. Yeah. Now I don't care. I'll just yeah. go over there and, Pick yeah. it up with a Kleenex and smash it right. if I need to. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, my hero. You know, I get to feel yeah. that. If I was this guy, you would have just seen the outline of my body as I zoomed <laughs> out of the school. I'd be like, nope. Megan's eat my department. Uh, anytime a man tells me to go get a spider off, you know, the wall, I'm so tough with that. I go over there and I actually just fist fight the spider. <laughs> You go a few rounds. Yeah. And then at the end, you call out for her with like a bruised eye. Yeah. I'm in the- I'm in the- uh, I recently watched the ending of uh, Rocky. Do you know yeah. they do a weird thing when she's running to him? They ADR him going like, where's your hat? Really? Yeah, he goes like, where's your hat go? That reeks to me of Sylvester Stallone himself going, she was never a hat. And she's had a hat. The, the audience is going to be asking, where the hat go? We got to have an on the hat. Where'd I don't the think that's go? important. <laughs> I don't think people are going to be thinking about the hat. Hat. I'm thinking about the hat. This movie is about a hat. I wear pork by hat. She wears a hat. <laughs> this is a movie about a hat. <laughs> Matt, the, uh, and then the pistachio thing. How did that happen? Just wasn't looking where I was eating. But like, no, no, not on you, like on the manufacturers. I don't know. I think it was already open and it was in my friend's pantry and I just, yeah. And then so are the maggots eating the pistachios? I assume or a fly, fly laid their eggs there, I think. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see Fly eggs and spider eggs. I have memories of that when I was a kid. We didn't talk about it with the hand, but that's like one of my earliest primal memories as a kid is the, oh, and they talk about it here with the snake. You cut off the snake's head and the body still moves, but it's harmless. 
Um, when I was a kid, seeing whatever that thing is, where a gardener snake is smushed on the road, but its tail is still moving. That was like Ooh. fascinating as a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that is wow. going to so be my... Uh, we didn't have the internet. <laughs> We'd watch a smush gardener snake wriggle around. We ate maggots, maggot. I'm Mater from the film Cars. Why? I don't know. That, too that's a really great Mater. And I was trying to get into the Mater voice just last night. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's hard because it is a Southern accent, but it's a specific type. So I was having a hard time. I never tried it before. I'm Mater. I'm Mater. I'm played by Larry the Cable Guy and Carrie the Label Guy. I'm obsessed with labels. (laughs) Carrie the Label Guy. (laughs) He's got like one of those little like printer things. Yeah. 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 I noticed everything you own doesn't have a label on it. Can I help? It sounds like that guy would, his name being Carrie... That he has an interest in that. It sounds like he'd be like fastidious. So it's funny that he still has the redneck voice. I You're like right. It. You're right. No, I don't want to change it. I like him being a fastidious redneck. I can't wait to get our first Xenomorph shout out as Carrie the Label Guy. Or fastidious redneck. <laughs> um, then uh, I think this is like the... Oh, uh, halfway point in the movie. I like then when they go into the big gym room. I thought that was really cozy, like the slumber Mm. party. I love when they turn off the lights and suddenly the back of the sheets are all just illuminated red. Like this is this is in the Dario Argento's world. There is no pitch dark. There's only (laughs) only red muted color. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, When that happened, I did write that. I was like, oh, it looked like a slumber party from hell. It was just like because at the time, too, they were going like. He doesn't want to make with you. <laughs> I know. It's also funny to think that when you know what's going on here, that this is a coven of witches and that their hundred year old witch lady sleeps and snores there, but they have a maggot problem. So everybody's got to go sleep in the gym. And all they do to separate those girls from this snoring witch is a thin sheet where her silhouette is projected on there. You'd think they'd want to take a little bit more care. Also, yeah. Do you think David Miscavige is just like sleeping next to the (laughs) peons with a sheet between them? No way. No way, dude. Also, I've seen this witch. She ain't gonna care about no maggots. (laughs) She eats maggots for breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she does seem like maybe she's like one of those like hippie types who run a school and is like, I want to always stay young and yeah, <laughs> just the sleep with a sheep between. Well, actually that sounds yeah. suspicious. Right. She, her, her title is directress, which is funny because the hand last week we had doctress. Yeah. And I was trying to think directress. I was like, I guess that's, it's supposed to be the female form of director, I guess, but yeah. it sounds more like director and actress put together. Like, directress yeah like it's just um, so funny that they would delineate with those things and that you know if podcasting was 40 years ago they'd be like a podcastress yes noted podcastress um i was gonna say that woman from uh 
CNN, who the only thing she dislikes about Trump is he doesn't go farther with uh, immigration policy. Oh, and Coulter. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think she's the face of uh, podcasting. CNN. No. No. Yeah. Um, when, after that, then you see those kind of like Oktoberfest dorks polka dancing and stuff. And then the blind guy's just there just by himself. Because he enjoys really, the music? I guess because we're not even seeing him drink. <laughs> just like the, the party atmosphere. Yeah. I can see it after being at school all day. You just want to go out and hear some Oompa. Yeah. Um, but then he goes walking out and I love the sort of like proto Phantasma Disneyland show he gets. Mm. <laughs> he like looks up and sees these cool like silhouettes and shadows yeah. But then Fantastic. I like how it ends. The two things it ends with his shades fall off. So you see his eyes and I know he wasn't, this guy wasn't blind, but it has the sort of like scariness of like, when you see like Roy Orbison without glasses, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Someone who was never blind. Yeah. But and always, the, that's the Mandela effect. That's the Brimley's mustache is you always think Roy Orbison was blind. Yeah, I imagine a lot of uh, bellhops came up to Roy Orbison and was like, do you need help with your suitcase, Mr. Orbison? And he goes, like, what? Oh, what? What are you oh, talking I'm sorry about? I'm to offend you. No, what? I can't hear you. <laughs> um, the, uh, and then it also ends with the dog eating him, a.k.a. reverse Michael Myers. <gasps> right. That's the reverse Myers. Forget Freddy versus Jason. Give me Michael versus this dog. Yeah, what got into that dog? I think he was hexed by a witch. And so, yeah, what kind of face-off do you think Michael... Like, uh, um, what are the chances of Michael winning in a, against a dog with a hex? We know how Michael can mm. defeat a dog without a hex. Right. That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. I'd love to see it. I love this mythology of witch, which also has the unfortunate downside of feeling like it was definitely steeped in racial tinges of, you know, like Romani peoples or whatever. But the fact that the witches whole thing is they want to vex other people. They want uh, unfortunate events to befall other people because they profit monetarily from it. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was, like, such an amazing description of how the specific, like, business plan of a monster. Yeah, but then you also think, well, this is Italy and there was a heavy Romani population coming through. I bet you that all is very racially tinged, too, that... Oh, well, um, I see it that, that, yeah, right, 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 and they're responding to that. Yeah, because it's this, we're not talking Salem witches here, we're talking, you know... Like, a cult, like yeah, a, a Eastern European into Western European fears and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's sort of about, um, it's also sort of like the mafia, like yeah. the way somebody can pinch you is financially. They're also, I noticed the front half of the movie was really loaded with like financial concerns. Like, I know, isn't that interesting? You have and to they pay even for comment you have on to it. pay for your shoes. Um, but she even comments it and goes, I know, the other American goes, I know it's weird, but that's just the way things are here. Yeah. Like they talk about money a lot. 
Yeah. It, I, I just took it as like when whatever. Like I think it's evil like power a, is happening. The way you kind of move through it is like what you have and don't have. Right. Like, so that I guy, she was like, he's hot, but you don't want to get with him because he doesn't make much money. It feels to me, and I don't know if this is, I don't think this is Suspiria saying that, but it's drawn on the racial thing of like, these are probably anti-Semitic thoughts about, you know, the stereotypes of Jews being greedy. And so here you've got these witches running a place and they're all concerned about money. It's very interesting. I'm sure people have written about this somewhere. I really know nothing academically about this movie. I haven't read up on it or anything. I think that's why I chose it because I wanted to start learning more about these things. Yeah, yeah. It'd be cool to think about uh, what what other uh, um, Italian horror movies we could watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw... a. Tenebre, Tenebre uh, on a double feature with, um, it was no Pat Hingle double feature, mm. but I saw a double feature with that and Carrie and that was cool. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I'm a big fan of the like 70s and 80s Italian sci-fi that they would, just that pulp sci-fi, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're the hunter from the future, which was released here as a movie with Reb Brown, but it was cold from, I think like an eight hour television miniseries in Italy or something. But man, yeah, Yeah. I've watched that so many times in a specific decade of my life that I was, I didn't get a high a ton, but if I was watching this movie or I was high, I was watching this movie. So I have very little recollection of this movie other than I saw it once when I was a kid on network TV in like Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting though the the drug thing because it does feel like it's not necessarily a movie for people on drugs or made by people who were on drugs, but like when they're walking down the hallway and there's a breathing sound and the color of the light down the hallway is like corresponding with the breathing. Yeah, it does feel like post acid or something like this couldn't have existed before a certain movement in people's brains. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Um, the, uh, uh, then they go to the, um, Oh, when the, um, she goes into the straight razor and then, uh, she gets the neck, her neck slashed that gore effect was crazy. It was like Ooh, actual yeah. fleshy. I think it was. It, it opened like up the, and it was like stuff. The skin had stuff inside it underneath, but also like, like fatty tissue. It yeah. Felt like maybe they stretched pig skin with, with the flesh underneath or something. It didn't look like the typical prosthetic thing of it cuts. And then there's like a hole and blood comes out of that hole. It was like, yeah. there was other tissue. It was way gross. It was way gross. It didn't really look human, but it didn't look fake either. So it was, again, it leaves you scratching your head a little bit. And it's, yeah, it's really fascinating. Then it goes to this, what I thought was also fascinating, this, she goes to that convention center. Did you see the announcement for the sixth meeting on new studies of psychiatry? The, it's like a sign that would be outside a convention normally on a marquee, but it was like, 
lettering on glass. Yeah. And that was that, that beautiful building, I think is that the BMW building? Oh, it is? In, in Germany or something. I'm not sure. I wanted that, that glass. That's how sh- people should do marquees, letters on glass, man. I know. <laughs> and you've got that building and then you're looking at the face of Udo, Udo Kier, who's just one of the most striking people to look at. A very young Udo Kier. Yeah, I know. I, ca- I knew he was in this movie and I kept waiting for him to pop up. I've never seen him that young. No. He's so handsome. Yes. And you know, like, you're like, yeah, he got hired. He's a great actor, but 80% of that is like, if you're going to make a spooky movie called Suspiria, you just put that guy on explaining stuff. He's the perfect mix because he's like 80% gorgeous, 20% kind of slightly off putting. Uh His eyes are so piercing. I was reading up about how they kept. He didn't really get the script until the last minute or something like that. Or I don't know, but there was someone behind the little planter while he was filming this, feeding him line by line. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I like all, so that's funny because some of my favorite lines are in this scene, like the "We don't believe uh, witches come from broken mirrors, but from broken minds." Yeah, that was uh, like just the little psychiatry angle. But then it was interesting because then he welcomes this older guy over who seems to be like mm-hmm. a synthesis of that. Like he does believe in science and psychiatry, but he also thinks witches exist. But one of the scariest moments, like at the end when he was talking and it was the last shot of that scene, it was like underneath him looking up at the sky. And I just yeah. thought something bad was going to happen. It was really scary. That low angle was pretty interesting because they they shot both of them that way for some of the conversation. Yeah. And the stuff he's sharing is like, yeah, that's the backstory of them. And then... uh like a cobra without a head oh what he's saying in that low angle shot he's like no but they're wrong magic is everywhere um but the uh thing i was wondering you know watching this was just like a oh to be at school where small enough classmates and the teachers know kind of everybody's business a little bit or something i don't think it's it's not like that's what dario argento is like trying to like be like portray but for me yeah. like when i watch it that's the feeling it gives me and the idea of like a faculty is actually a coven of witches and that movie the faculty that robert rodriguez one is like they're secretly aliens it's kind of like a riff on the thing they actually yeah. do the i don't know if you've seen the faculty matt yeah i have but they do the version of the, like, let's check the blood to make yeah. sure which one of us is the thing kind of scene. But it got me thinking, what do you think is the best monster to run, like, a school fact to be a part of a school faculty? You mean best for an entertaining movie or the monster that would best run a school to make the school succeed? I think the latter. But I think then it would also lead to the most entertaining movie because it would be like what actually works the best. I guess it depends on what kind of school. Like if it's kind of a a prep school, maybe Dracula because he's kind of a blue blood, you know. I know, but the, the, 
day hours. I thought of that too, but oh, right, night school. I'd have to, uh, maybe it would be night school. It's like this is how you best learn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a thought? No, um, I don't. It just mainly that, like, when they were swimming together, trying to have a conversation, and somebody was up above, like, whispering to go tattle what you were talking about. I was like, yeah. that's the scariest thing about this for me. Like, reminds me of fucking school. I hated that shit. Like I, you know, my class size was like 42 people. Wow. So just like, uh, it wasn't like gossip. It's not that, that bothers me. It was just like, you can't have your own private interior world when you go to school. Like that's sort of like everybody's watching somebody. And the idea that the faculty probably does secretly talk about everybody. Like, Scenes this period, that's like what creeps me out. It's like, oh, I felt this before going to a small school. Yeah, and then <laughs> multiply that by living there as well. Yeah, which my school used to do. They, oh, they used really? to have old, it was an old Catholic school. And the attic space, you could rarely get up there. But if you went up there, you could see it was like where they would keep um, beds where people would sleep at oh, night. And, and get, witches. Yeah, and get picked up by their parents at you know, over the weekend or something. Oh, wow. Um, and then, but yeah, I guess there was some stuff that made me kind of think, uh, it was a little, um, Catholic school or Catholic, you know, the, um, the thing I, I like about any Italian filmmakers that has all of the like gorgeous Catholic Vatican theatricality and the- theatricality and imagery that I grew yeah. up with and loved and, it hits a spot. But what's even better is, you know, I'm like German Catholic, so it's a little like repressed to see these things that are like so lurid and yeah. sinful rendered with like Catholic like yeah. beauty. It, it scratches a real itch for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that kind of like last 20 minute hunk when she comes back. And, um, uh, 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 when, when, um, Susie comes back with this, now the knowledge of, oh, this is a code, uh, witches are running this school. She also knows through Sarah's research or whatever, she can count the footsteps to know where they're at. Um, I liked all this stuff, like the bat attacking her. Is that supposed to be, and then like the suspense of having her to like sneak by those women who were like chopping huge knives that you have to sneak by and stuff. It was just all like nightmare. And the fact that they'd been drugging her was right. That's a huge part of this. The drugging. Yeah. Yeah. When they showed the room full of the coven and little Albert's in there, is Pablo in there too? Is he part of this or is he just kind of a innocent servant? That servant who I think, yeah, he did work for them because then he pulls out that like lighter, right? Oh, yeah, right. He is part of it. That's right. Yeah. But maybe oh, yeah. maybe he's also like one of the wicked witches kind of guys who like knows. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. He that was all- at one point he was going, oh, we, oh, <laughs> when she looks down the hallway and sees through the doorway, that woman be like, you got to get rid of that little American bitch of a girl. (laughs) Couldn't be clearer. (laughs) The perfect time to eavesdrop. Yeah. 
Um, and then all that stuff of finding the like Sarah's bloodied corpse, and she knocks over that dope ass peacock statue. Oh yeah, and the exploding panther or whatever. That yeah, was. and the um. That was all from a dream that Dario Argento's partner at the time, whose name is Daria, so they were Dario and Daria, <laughs> uh, had a dream about that. And she was going to play the lead, but the studio wanted an American actress in there. Right, and according to Brantley's notes, she's the woman who appears at the very beginning at the airport, right? Who steps yeah. out through the door first. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dario and Daria. That'd be you with like a Maddie, M A D D I E. Like if. Yeah. If, and me with a Paula. Right, right, yeah. I guess Maddie me and Paula and Jones dated for like a couple of years. That's right, you guys did. And then the. Um, who's that uh, chef woman? Paula, Paula Dean. Oh, Paula Dean. We dated and I for dated, a couple of years. Uh, I dated Sybil Shepherd's character from Moonlighting for a while <laughs> well that did it pull from the uh you know the name madison is from splash because she's named after madison avenue so oh, post 84 yeah. there was this huge spike in names madison and maddie oh wow so i wonder if moonlighty was like getting a little too early like i doubt mm. civil shepherd's generation was calling themselves maddie but it's a cool but name right now. you can name a baby and it has to grow up with that name you can name a character and it's already grown just like the clones of boba fett that's true i didn't think about the clones of boba fett maybe her <laughs> name was madeline though i'm thinking but um did you uh, just one last bit of Splash trivia? Did yeah. you know that's why Splash Mountain's called Splash Mountain? Why? Because Michael Eisner, when they were, he took over Disney around the time that that ride was completing, and it was supposed to be called like Zippity Doodah or something. And he was like, we got to start finding ways to get movies from Touchstone and Disney made by Buena Vista in the park. Our biggest hit is Splash, so why don't – there's a big splash. Let's get the word Splash in there. I like the word Splash. Oh, my God. Hey, you can add that to you and Amanda's podcast about theme parks eventually because I, I think that's, that's too juicy of a tidbit. To that's too up. juicy. Oh, my God, the gossip. Amanda, wait till you hear the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, last thing I guess I'll say is I wish uh, – there were more movies with secret passageways that you got I know, with little me irises too. in the door. Me too. Oh my God. I love, I mean, this and Webster are really the only ones. <laughs> um, oh, and when those balls like got knocked to the floor and rolled against the wall and that's the thing that woke up the perfect. Yeah. That's just stuff. I mean, I guess with Argento, it's like. Really, maybe only five brains with a movie camera could think that up, and only one decides to execute it, and it becomes so specific. That really yeah. is just what makes a horror movie special. Just those little details are so nice. And then, I mean, we love our abrupt endings here. Boy, uh, you got one. With No Day New Ma. And this one, I really it was abrupt because Plex now does that thing where the credits on this movie haven't even started rolling and a little thing comes up and goes, skip credits. And I, I was like, too. I didn't expect it to be over that soon. Cause it didn't even go to black. The credits ran over a burning school with like 
voices wailing in pain. Yeah. Like you hear the yeah. witches. It's such a great ending. But also when she steps out in the rain and smiles and is like, whoo, I got out of that. Yeah. It made me think of like how a kid must feel when he like leaves for college. <laughs> It's Either graduation day at high school or the day you step out of your house, you're just like, what the fuck was that? Uh, <laughs> Glad I got out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, thumbs up to Suspiria, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we went full Ebert on this. Yeah. Two Eberts. Uh, two Eberts. Two Eberts up. Um, should we read a couple of Xenomorphs and then we'll yeah. rate it? All right. Beautiful. First up. Uh, shout out to Barefoot and Independent, which is a company, but the three employees would like to hear that. Oh, they would like H.R. Uh, Giger to do his best Werner Herzog. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, okay, my name is H.R. Giger. I'm going to do my impression of Werner Herzog saying Barefoot and Independent. Um, thank you. Barefoot and Independent. That's not a... Perfect HR uh, uh, Werner impression because it's me doing it, so you understand. That was really good. Uh, uh, Matt Wessel would like his name read in the style of Freddy Krueger, Paul. Matt Wessel. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Break out the cooking oil, bitch. (laughs) It's Matt Wessel. Is it Wessel cooking oil? It's Wesson oil, but I oh knew exactly God. what you meant. Oh, so that's uh, stupid Freddy is who I was doing. <laughs> Dumb Freddy. Yeah, because smart Freddy would be like, why don't you mispronounce the word vessel Chekhov from Star Trek? Oh, Matt, Matt, Matt. Is there another name? There's three more. There is a Universal Studios backlot... Robert England intersection story that I have to tell you after this. Okay. Okay. Hold on to your hats. I can't wait. Uh, or even Kirshner is going to read the name of Thomas Wolf. And uh, speaking of goblin, you know, there's a goblin in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. His name's Yoder. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, this person, uh, oh, uh, oh, they just had an, a daughter too. Doug just had a daughter, oh, um, and they I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, they'd like Douglas Heyman would like his name read in the style of Doctor Samuel Loomis. Uh, Douglas Heyman. Douglas Heyman. Perfect. We did the two pitches of Loomis. <laughs> uh. Uh, uh, this is Grub Mubster McFlay. No, wait. El- Eli Elliott would like his name read as the original Ghoulies girl, Queen Lizzie the First. Why is she the Ghoulies girl? Huh. What name should be said? Eli Elliott? This is for me to read as, I guess, uh, Queen Elizabeth the First of the... Elizabethan era would like to honor Eli Elliot. I, I, I apologize. Eli. I, I, <laughs> Don't I apologize. That was good. That was on me. All right. What's this Freddy Krueger story? I'm done. Oh, oh, oh. Um, been watching a lot of videos about history of theme parks. Love them. Oh, and somebody mentioned how, 
you know, the Phantom of the Opera Stage 28 Universal Studios uh, ghost. Um, And they said, and there was an episode of Knight Rider done about it. And they showed a little clip and I was like, well, if there's an episode of Knight Rider where they're bopping around the Universal backlot, I got to watch this. I did. Matt, you should watch it too. It's really perfect. Uh, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm not spoiling anything because halfway through you find out he is, but you would know from the beginning that this person's the bad guy because David Hasselhoff, Michael Knight goes to visit somebody and he has to first speak to their, uh, you know, their assistant out in the office. And it's Robert England. Oh. And there ain't no way Robert England, two years after Nightmare on Elm Street, is not going to play the guy who's the phantom of the of the stage. But check it there's, out, dude. It's there's got to be at least five to ten shows, NBC, that used Universal Studios. No, not necessarily NBC. But they used Universal Studios f- for their characters in the show to go in at some point, like, I know out of this world that syndicated comedy did it. Um, did it, I think maybe the A team did it too. Yeah. And the flip side would be the ABC would do it. Oh, Columbo, I think did an episode there. Mm. Uh, and the flip side, ABC would do it with like Disneyland in the 90s. Those are some of the like best. Yeah. I mean that part commercial part. Oh, what, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's and good. CBS I, I didn't just... know universal city like started with this like crazy, ghost story where they were doing an aerial flight to open up the the back lot in like the early 1910s dude dies in an aerial flight and now people will dress up as the pilot as uh at halloween horror nights as a little nod to the first death uh i was like oh that's a cool ghost story oh i didn't know that the waldo waldo pepper of universal city season two of our disney podcast that still hasn't come out not yeah not because of us all right uh, best kill matt oh for me it's pat hingle god rest her soul and uh his soul yeah that was good i like the um this sarah's death the hiding the yeah. latch getting brought up going up the steps and then falling into a, a barbed wire. Just, yeah. And then the length of the barbed wire sequence. That's just one of a kind. They're you, few you, and you far like between, but they're worth it. those moments in movies because you're like, they don't come very often. And yeah. they're so, they're the best. Yeah. I love them. All right, let's recap. Uh, you gave The Thing a 13. I gave it a 12. You gave The Hand a 7.5. I gave it an 11. And uh, what are you going to give Suspiria? That's funny out of a, with the hand out of one to 10, you gave, or one to 13, you gave it 11 fingers. I did. <laughs> Michael Caine would only be able to give it five. I know. Um, yeah, I'll give this uh, a 12. Nice. I'm going to give it an 11. Cool, dude. I loved it. I loved it. Um, next week, we are going to have to take off but it won't be a shortened season by any means. We'll just skip a week, probably do a couple more episodes, take one more week off, and then the final three, something like that. Um, my wife has informed me that I need to have a certain amount of next week available for some good times. Because uh, next week's a birthday boy. Yeah, that's right. It's a big one. It's big how, big my man? Big 50. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um... I would say the last 
50 years of the planet Earth have been made better because Matt Gorley was here. Oh, you're so kind. It's true. Well, same with you in your 41 years? Uh, when did I turn? I'm 42 now. 42? You don't look it. <laughs> 42 is a comedy number, though, right? Yeah, that's also the, uh, what is it, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide number. Yes. God, I'm often shocked by the success of the Hitchhiker's Guide because you wouldn't think sci-fi fans would like Monty Python humor. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Don't get me wrong. I read that first book and it was overjoyed. I was like, Monty Python (laughs) sci-fi? Well, Um, next week is The Strangers. Very excited. Yeah, and the way you watch that is um, you... Sleep on your arm for a bit, and then you use that hand to turn on the TV with a remote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you, my friend. I love you too. Uh, I'll uh, see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to Patreon.com/slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.